And welcome to the Magic Ball from Burkamp Podcast. I am your host, Sam. I am known as our official El Samo on Twitter. And welcome to episode 12. And we are now hit the international break. This podcast is available on Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And today I have a very special guest with me. He is known by his interviews that he, he conducts. He's one of, the, one of the most well-known journalists on Arsenal Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, James Rowe. Hello, James. How are you doing? Hello, Sam, and thank you very much for a lovely introduction. No worries, my friend. I see all the time your, um, you know, the stuff that you do on uh, tw- on uh, Twitter. I see all the interviews that you conduct with a lot of, you know, different people. Got a lot of great people. It's it's fantastic to read. It's fantastic to have a look at. To be honest. Thank you very much for the kind words. It's been um, it's been a hell of a journey the last nearly five years. I, I recently celebrated. The 300th publication with a former Guna and Cohen Bramall. And uh, also nice for the Secret Footballer website publisher to come in for me last October, which came out of the blue. So nice to be publishing to such a massive amount of people every uh, every week now. And uh, upcoming interviews include the likes of Pat Nevin, uh, Trevor Stephen, uh, Arne Friedrich as well, who's the sporting director of Hertha Berlin. And a fair few surprises as well. So um, we just keep going and giving all we've got. And uh, see what the future will bring right we, we just hope because obviously you've got a bright future ahead of you you conducted so many brilliant interviews with a lot of them brilliant people but um i just want to ask you one quick question how does it feel to know that you are now featured on a podcast that had the likes of eddie hogan kevin campbell and also chris davison of Arsenal? it feels good obviously i interviewed kevin before um a while back now i think it was last april and uh, we spoke about his time at Arsenal and uh, also f- also playing for Traps and Spore in Everton. And uh, friends and Arsenal, people on Arsenal Twitter always like to joke and say Kevin Campbell's my biggest fan. I'm not, not enti- entirely sure about that. But um, yeah, it was great to hear his story, of course. And, um, you know, everyone's got a story to tell. You know, everyone's trying to do their best with the resources they have at their disposal. And uh, yeah, really pleased. So thank you for having me on. No worries, James. Anytime, anytime. Uh, just one uh, quick question from you quickly. What have you made of the season so far? I mean, from when I mean the season so far, from after Boxing Day all the way till now. Because we all have established that before Boxing Day, it was just meh. But from Boxing Day till now, how have you established the season? And what do you think of it? Well, I must say it's been a very strange season in more ways than one. And I think that um, I think all this jam tomorrow, everything's going to be all right. I understand people's uh, clamour and I understand their passion and their hopes. But when we have an owner like we do, who only sees Arsenal as a healthy investment, nothing more, then we're not going to make significant progress or as, as much progress as we would like because he doesn't ha- seem to have the sporting drive he doesn't have the will to win. He just sees Arsenal as a healthy investment. And and, with, and in the fan base as well, you've got um, older generations who remember what the time, the old times used to be like. You've got the younger generations that have never seen Arsenal win the league. And, and the fact remains is that we've got a manager, although he's doing well, still somewhat inexperienced. And one of the things I've learned in the, um, in the five years that I've been interviewing professional players and managers is timing is everything in football. You know, this isn't fantasy football. This isn't FIFA. This is real life. And in real life, especially when you're dealing with human beings, you've got to make some very difficult decisions. 
And at the minute, I just think we're a passive football club. And if we don't make some really strong decisions, and dare I say, unpopular decisions in the summer, um, I can't really see us making any progress, in all honesty. Fantastic, fantastic. And uh, James, just a quick question from you. I mean, quick question to you uh, from me. I ask everybody this that I get on the podcast. Do you think, and this is, if we get past Slavia Prague, because it is going to be a tough game against them that should, when we play them, that if we do get past Slavia Prague and United make it into the Europa League final, do you think, number one, can we win the Europa League? And number two, if we get United in the final, how confident are you of us beating them? Uh, well, first and foremost, being based in Amsterdam, I think it will be another team with A, which reaches the final from that side of the draw. Um, obviously, Ajax can potentially play Manchester United, although they've got a difficult tie against Roma. I think this is tournament football, and in tournament football, you always get surprises. Nobody expected Dnipro to reach the final in 2015. Nobody expected Ajax to reach the final in 2017, nor Marseille in 2018. This Europa League, UEFA Cup as it was, has a habit of teams reaching the final, which nobody expects. And I, think, I don't think this year will be any exception. I think the dynamic of the Slavia Prague game as well, it's a, we're away from home second, you know, and obviously the, the strange um, situation with Benfica being played in Rome and Athens and then the traditional home and away with Olympiakos. Rangers didn't win in Prague. Um, Leicester didn't win in Prague. And um, I, I dare I say it, we won't win in Prague. And I just, I just think I can understand people's positivity, but... I think when I look at the club and how the club is being run, you know, to take out a £120 million loan in the middle of a worldwide pandemic and then obviously with the Aubameyang deal, I spoke to a former scout, Sam, David Lee, who was capped by England under-21 level and played for Chelsea. He was one of the scouts that was made redundant upon the Aubameyang deal. And I quote what he said to me. He said, um, I love my time at Arsenal. It's a great club, great people. We were doing some fantastic things. He said it was all going so well up until I was made redundant. And he had just signed a two-year extension. So all these people on Arsenal Twitter who advocate buy this one, buy that one, as if it's fantasy football, what they don't realise is when you're offering substantial deals is that sometimes clubs have to cut in other areas where they end up paying off scouts who have just signed contracts extensions. And there's a lot of things that people don't really understand in that respect and I just think at the minute as a club we're going through the motions and until a new owner comes in hell-bent on putting the welfare of Arsenal Football Club first I really can't see any significant progress long term Fantastic, fantastic <clears throat> but um, the question is do you think we can win the Europa League? That's the, that, that is one of the main questions should we make it to the final do you think we can win the Europa League? No, no as much as I would love us to win it and I really would. I mean, as you know, I, I would have them before the COVID outbreak return to Arsenal from where I'm based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands to prioritise European games. I would go to Rennes and, and Barty Borisov and Napoli and Europa League and Champions League games. As much, I would so dearly love Arsenal to win in Europe, but I just, I just really can't see it. I really can't. I'd love to be proven wrong. I, if Arsenal win the Europa League, I'd be delighted. But in all honesty, Sam, I really, really, really cannot see it. Because I'll be honest with you, I want to win it. I want to win it. 
I do have a feeling we can win it. But at the same time, a lot of stats go against us. We don't have, as a club, we don't have any European pedigree. Uh, it mm. has been established that Arsenal have no European pedigree. Um, we've also... We hold a really bad record out of all English sides in Europe. And you know what that record is? We've never beaten a fellow domestic side in Europe. Mm. You know that. Spurs have done it. City's done it. We haven't. But I also cannot see Manchester United reaching the final. Not just because I'm based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, but Granada as well. Granada has a fantastic result in Eindhoven. They're a good side. That have made life difficult for many La Liga teams. Uh, Who's to say that Man United are going to dispatch of Granada over two legs? Where's the guarantee in that? People talk about um, the Spurs, come, uh, the Dynamo Zagreb comeback against Tottenham. One of the biggest things in football, Sam, is part, apart from the commercialism of the last 20 years, one of the biggest things is the gap between the seasoned European teams and the lesser teams has been reduced year upon year upon year because. It's a world game now, and the coaching is getting better. It's, football is no longer a closed shop. It's not the closed shop that it once was. Now the scouting is a lot more intelligent. Um, young players are getting the opportunities all over Europe. Mulder, for example, knocking out Hoffenheim. Nobody expected that to happen, but they did. And I, I think there's many a twist and turn in this, um, in this Europa League still. I don't think uh, it's anybody's cup, and it's not over until the final whistle blows in that final. Fantastic, fantastic. And um, <clears throat> moving on, as we all know, it's now the international break. And for me, even though it's World Cup qualifiers, the big thing I'm looking forward to is Euro. Well, it's still Euro 2020. Mm. Even though they, it's in 2021 because of the COVID outbreak and the pandemic, it's Euro 2020. Mm. Where do you rate? This is for me. I'm a huge fan of Holland, of the Netherlands. I'm a massive fan, as you can see. And you know, I'm not on camera, but you can see me wearing a a, a Netherlands top because I'm a big fan. Where do you rate their chances of winning? Well, the timing is vitally important. Just before we came on air tonight in the World Cup qualifiers, they lost four two in Turkey. Uh, Frank de Boer is now the manager. It's no longer it's no longer Ronald Koeman. He's left, he left out about Berghorst, who scored 16 goals this season. He's scored 15 goals every season for the last three um, seasons in Germany. And also scored his 50th Bundesliga goal last weekend. And he was omitted from the squad. Like tonight, you could have offered them something different, but no, it wasn't. And he was uh, the, the statement that Frank de Boer gave was, you know, when I need him, I'll call upon him. But in the case of Frank de Boer, he's a fantastic player was capped many, many times by the Netherlands, meant an awful lot, captained the country. But when you've been sacked and relieved of your duties from your last three jobs at Inter Milan, Crystal Palace and Atalanta, Atlanta, sorry, and um, then what can you do for the national team? And in the case of Koeman, who inserted the clause that should Barcelona come in for him, he could leave. And let's be real, he only took that job because it was the last opportunity to take that job. And um, he wants to say at the end of his career that he managed Barcelona. But I think the chances of, of, of success under Frank de Boer, I think it's highly unlikely, really. I, I think at, the, at most, I think potential quarterfinals at, at most, I believe. 
that's that's sounds sounds very good. Um, speaking of Dutch football, you know, we I understand you are you're like you're 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 one of the experts of Dutch football, and you're a huge fan of Arsenal. Mm. Is there any Dutch players, right, in the current national side, right? That you would love to see at Arsenal. I mean, for me, there's there, there is quite a few I'd love to see at Arsenal. I'll be honest with you, there is quite a few players in that Dutch national side, in that Dutch squad that I would think if Arsenal got them, I would I would be ecstatic. I'll give you one person who I'd really want. I'd give you one person. And you know what? Even though this person will cost a lot of money, and they just recently, I mean, a year ago or two years ago now, they joined a big club, Matthias de Ligt. Mm. Honest, well, honestly, this guy would have been a huge difference maker to our defense. Absolutely, him. A- absolutely, absolutely. I watched him when he broke through, and I would used to translate um, post and pre-match press conferences for an English football site called Football Anya when I when I started out, and I would translate uh, post and pre-match interviews from Dutch to English for the website. And it was a 17-year-old speaking. And as I'm writing up and translating the pieces and transcripts, I'm thinking, that doesn't sound like your normal 17-year-old. That sounds like somebody who's 30. Because his he's, um, vocabulary and the way that he would describe things. And he's just so completely mature. And you see with Matthias de Ligt um, signing for Juventus, I, I called that he would sign for Juventus a long time before he actually did. And I was quite pleased for that one because you don't always get it right. And um, but he settled well in in, in uh, Turin. You know he's playing well on a regular basis. You can't expect to to hit the ground running and win every trophy available. If you compare his um, his situation to uh, Donny van der Beek, where it appeared that um, he would be he was going to Real Madrid, it appeared to be the worst kept secret in Dutch football that he would eventually go to Real Madrid, and then they didn't come in for him, and he ends up at Manchester United and doesn't play. And in the words of the Dutch um, former manager and Dutch legend, uh, Marco van Basten, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for such a player at such an age to, um, to not play, to have captained Ajax, to have played for his country, to have led Ajax, to have made progression in Europe and not be playing. But I think, um, I think in terms of the current squad, there's, there's some very, very good players. Um, I think I'd like to be a little bit rogue and say, there's a player at place for I said called uh, Tone Goldmaners. And if Arsenal were going to sign one Dutch player, sign him because he's already been capped over, already already made 100 appearances, more than 100 appearances for I said Alex Maher. It's capped him for Dutch national under, um, under 23 side, under 21 side. And he's um, uh, young odd years, they say here. And he's also a penalty killer and a free kick killer and a leader. You know, for someone to be so young and to have gained so much experience. I mean, I remember seeing an interview with him when when he scored a, a vital penalty against Portugal in the um, in the qualifying for the uh, for the youth Euros, and they were saying you're you're very much a penalty killer. How do you explain what you do? And he said, well, he said I just put the ball on the spot. He said I pick my side and I hit it as hard as I can. Simple but effective. And I think the mentality of Coldman is who was. Um, also linked with Leeds and I wouldn't be surprised if both Leeds and Arsenal go back in for him this summer but Arsenal have really got whoever Arsenal target this summer they've really got to sell it because if you're a young player 
what's to stop Arsenal coming in with all the whistles and bells? All you have to do is say to them, if you're a young player, where are the guarantees that I will not end up like William Saliba? Where are they? Because look at William Saliba. William Saliba left for Arsenal. His teammate at St Etienne, Wesley Fofana, left for St Etienne. Uh, left from left for Leicester from St Etienne, and it is Fofana who has gained more experience in the Premier League than what Saliba has. Saliba was not even deemed good enough uh, to sometimes play in the under twenty threes, whereas Fofana is playing uh, Premier League football. They was in a a defence that got St Etienne to a domestic cup final. So it just goes to show about the choices that young players make. And especially with young Arsenal fans on, on Twitter or, or young um, or Arsenal fans on Twitter in general, this isn't monopoly money. This isn't fantasy football. This is real money. This is real livelihoods. If, I'll give an example. Do you remember Philip Sandler, who signed from Pex Waller to Manchester City? Yeah. I interviewed him three weeks after he signed that deal. And I was invited to the stadium in Swallow to speak to him one-on-one. And um, I said to him, I said, it's very rare that a player signs from Peck Swallow to Manchester City. He said, well, I said, what did they do to convince you? He said, well, literally, they sold it to me. He said, they told me that I would be training on a daily basis with Sergio Aguero, David Silva. He said, my medical took an absolute age. He said, I had opportunities to, um, to sign for clubs in the Netherlands, such as Ajax, Ajax PSV. I said, but he thought it was the best opportunity to go to Manchester City. He went to City, he was subsequently loaned out to Anderlecht and he's barely played in the last three years. And when I spoke to him, the news had just broke. I was one of the first people to speak to him about it, especially on the, uh, in terms of, um, I say British media because of my, pub- because of my uh, publishers at the time, but obviously, you know, being based here in the Netherlands for nine or 15 years nearly. And people need to understand that it's not FIFA. Just because a player is, is good on FIFA or championship management, we're talking about real life. Look at Mark Albrighton and James Ward-Prowse. I would love to have both of those players playing for Arsenal. But yet I've been told on a regular basis that neither of them are good enough to play for Arsenal, when nothing could be further from the truth. Mark Albrighton is a Premier League winner and they could also win the FA Cup. And how he's never been capped by England, I will never know. I recently spoke to Dean Hammond, who played for Leicester, with Jamie Vardy, with Albrighton in, in their journey to where they are now. And he was saying about Albrighton and he said that inside the club is extremely highly rated. He said, but outside, maybe people are a little bit, um, a little bit ignorant as to how good he actually is. Because you look at those passes for Jamie Vardy, in the words of Dean Hammond, a lot of people thought they were balls over the top. It just fell out of the sky. They were pinpoint precision passes. Imagine if we had a player like that, how well he could do. But lots of Arsenal fans, it's very much about the clout. It's very much about a player's involvement in social media, speaking with fellow fans. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not important, Sam. In the grand scheme of things, Mark Albrighton has achieved something that Aubameyang, Ozil, Lacazette couldn't do. And, And that is win the Premier League with Arsenal. And that's also no coincidence and no fluke. Perfect. And um, yeah, you know, you just look at, you know, certain players, you know, that Arsenal target. And, you know, for me, the case is that a lot of the fans tend to want players that are big names, if that makes Mm. sense. 
big names, yeah. big names. They never look at the the people who are small and you know that can make a, 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 a major difference. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of fans say, "Oh, we should follow the Liverpool model or we should follow the Ajax model." Yeah, mm. they like you know Ajax is integrating the youth and trusting you know um, how they got the likes of you know um, what's his name, Frankie De Jong. Who are, mm. who are also I'm a big fan of who you you know looked at us as a potential club to go to before he joined Barcelona you know someone that I mm. think to myself yeah I'd, I'd love this guy at the club but then we we're we're told that we should always follow the Ajax and Liverpool you know um, grand scheme of things of how they became successful you know going far in the Champions League this and the other but when we talk about Premier League experienced players to sign for example. We, we, I was saying in the summer of last year, we should maybe look at Lewis Dunk as um, a potential centre-back to sign for Brighton. Mm. Fans are like, nah, we don't want him. Our place for Brighton is rubbish. That's fine. That's yeah. your opinion. But, but he's, Premier League, he's Premier League proven. You say you want more Premier League proven players. Liverpool exactly. Van Dijk. Liverpool signed Van Dyke, Premier League proven. Mm. Liverpool signed... And Robinson. Uh, yep. They signed uh, Robertson. They signed Genie Wijnaldum, Jorginho Wijnaldum. Yep. Yep. And then where and there's our fan base saying no to the likes of Yves Pissouma. Our fan base saying no to the likes of so many different players that who would make such a difference. And some people just don't understand. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes the way that our I see our strike force, it's not good enough. And then we was linked to Chris Wood, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'd rather have Chris Wood in the Arsenal uh, setup than um, than uh, sometimes sometimes in the Bamiang because Chris Wood, of course. So I don't know if he's clinical enough or not, but he's Premier League proven. Sometimes, you know, I think to myself, you know, maybe we should go for these type of players. Mm. But at the same time, I kind of hold back and I kind of say no. But um, move, mm. move, moving on swiftly, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if you know about this. Uh, I was going to ask you, I know it sounds like a weird question, but in Holland, how big is w- w- women's football? Like, um, yeah. It's quite big. They're very proud of what the um, the Dutch uh, women's team, the Oranje Leeuwina, what they achieved in Euro 2017. Um, I was fortunate, I've been fortunate to interview half of the team that started that World Cup final, uh, including Van der Donk, Jackie Groenen, and also Sherida Spitzer, and Lynne F. Bielenstein, and Jewel Lord as well. She's a really nice personality. She, in particular, I spoke to her when she was at Bayern Munich, and she's just a, a fantastic personality, along with Daniela van der Donk. They've, it's taken more seriously here in the Netherlands because, obviously, the, the women's team have won a major title. Uh, there's great togetherness. Obviously, uh, the national team coach, Selina Wiegman, will be managing uh, England in future. And um, interesting to see how they go forward, but... It really has galvanised women, women's sport in this country. You know, they're very much this country. The Netherlands is a country of 17.3 million people, and in the 15 years that I've been here, the population has only gone up by 1.1 million. So, in terms of density, in terms of opportunities to grow, and that kind of thing, it really does try to um, to kind of spur people on and 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 give them the opportunities to motivate and go out and do exercise and play football and do all those things. And um, it's taken very, very seriously here. And uh, they've got a great crop of young players as well. And it'll be interesting to see how they go forward, especially on the new management in future. Fantastic. And the main reason I asked you about Dutch Dutch football, and especially the women's football, yesterday we received uh, record-breaking news in the UK 
about the latest television rights that uh, BBC and Sky Sports will be broadcasting the Women's Super League from next season in a four-year deal, mm. which is worth a lot, which is also bringing women's football to expansive. And the the reason I'm saying this is because I'm not too sure, like, with with you guys, right, with, with Holland, like, is it only just one sports channel you have? Like, boat, is it boat ball or something? Boat, boat ball? We have, uh, there's different cable channels. Obviously, we have, uh, for the people with television and internet, Zico uh, Sports is, uh, is a well-known channel. Fox Sports, ESPN, they all change hands, really. You can have your own cable channel. But obviously, with women's football, not only have I interviewed in, in the 300 professional players and managers that I've interviewed in the last nearly five years, I've also interviewed a lot of women players. And it's something I'm very proud of. You know, but also coming up with the likes of uh, Tanya Oktobi, obviously managing Bristol City women, and Stephanie Roach as well. And also, um, also um, a fair few surprises as well. Um, Julia, um, uh, Julia, um, uh, Laura Duray as well, who plays for Arda Den Haag and Standard Liège, and also Julia Simic as well, uh, who plays for AC Milan women. I was very lucky to speak to her mm. last week. Fantastic. And, you know, to speak to us, and also Chloe Lacasse, who's playing for Benfica. And they were saying that in case of AC Milan and Benfica, the AC Milan team has only been, a, women's team has only been in existence for three years. And the Benfica women's team has only been in existence for two years. So there's a lot of big, big clubs now that are looking at um, that are looking at how they can improve their women's team. And in the case of uh, Julia Simic as well, of AC Milan, she also played for Bayern Munich. And she was telling me that when she played for Bayern Munich, it's not the Bayern Munich that it is today um, on the women's side of things. They're, they're treated equal to the men in terms of the facilities that they can uh, that they can use and take them very, very seriously. But it's another it's another development in football. It's it's another development in football. And people say about the the um, commercial differences, but if you think how far women's football has come in a short space of time, and also when you speak to these players as well, Sam, you you, you learn an awful lot. It's simply not the case of uh, of any dip in level or uh, a, a different sport in any respect. Look at the Arsenal ladies, for example. I mean, all you got to do is look at the Arsenal ladies and you'll see a completely mm. difference in mentality there. Because when mm. I look at the Arsenal ladies, right, and when they play football, I see people that want to play for the badge. That mm. It's an honour for them to represent the badge. It's the, the, the ladies, the, the women's mm. team. They, they do really, really well. They, you know, I'm, the women's football's growing. And I'll be honest with you, it's slowly starting to grow, which I'm something pr- proud of. I'm proud of watching, you know, women's football grow slowly. I mean, there was the the summer of uh, 2019 when the Women's World Cup was on. A lot of people were, you know, fantasizing with the Cricket World Cup that was on. You know, a lot of mm. you know, cricket was on. I wasn't interested in cricket at all. I was interested in watching the, watching the women's game. I was like, yeah, I'm interested in watching women's football. I mean, are, are you, like, you, we saw surprises in that Women's World Cup that I, I never thought I'd see. Mm. I, I was thinking, wow. You know, the like there were games like, for example, when England lost to the USA 2-1. For example, the equaliser when it came in. Oh, I, I went insane. I was like, you know, I wanted England to win, but fortunately we lost. But, um, you know, but what can I say? I was, you know, obviously I was 
I was stoked. But um, yeah, you know, I just want to see that, you know, women's football slowly on the rise and it's a good thing. But um, slowly, guys, moving on to the last part of the show. Move on to, to uh, move on to questions, but um, we only got one question. Uh, yep, and uh, I think you've seen this from Axel. I have Zondaland one. Hi, Axel. Forgive me if there's a better place to ask for the part, but I really want to know if you enjoy Dutch staples like licorice and crocotin. Crocotin, I introduced them to find them to be awful. Well, um, if I can give you a little bit of background information, Axel was referring to licorice, which they call in Dutch drop, which is like a salty uh, licorice and also in some cases a little bit sour. And also uh, croquettes, croquettes that they put in maybe a roll and they put mustard or mayonnaise on it. And there's lots of different um, Dutch delicacies, cast souffles as well, which is like a small um, um, cheese um um, like a small cheese plateau, which is kind of like put into the oven where you can crisp it up, and it's also made of cheese and very, very nice. Uh, they use the Dutch word delicious, which is called lekker. They use that for their food quite a lot. And also the cultural differences. You know, I've, I've been here for nearly 15 years and obviously learning the language and being able to interview Dutch players and managers in their mother tongue. I've literally embraced living here day in, day out for all the time. And um, it's been a fantastic journey and it also in, in Dutch delicacies with food and also the, the stamp pot as well, with like, a, like a stew and uh, lots of different things, really. So, yeah, I didn't mind Axel's question at all. You know, it's nice to, to touch on, on life here because lots of people would, um, would love to live and work abroad. And, and for me, it really has been the making of me. You know, I, I left at a very young age and, um, you know, if you just said to me when I left that you go on to... Um, have such a long time in the Netherlands and, and go on to interview Dutch players and managers in their mother tongue, I, w- I would have said he was mad. But it just goes to show if you give literally everything you've got and you never give in, because British people, they have a, a reputation of not being able to speak different languages well, but we do exist. There's loads of us if you know where to look. And if you look at the, the football writing side of things, if you look how good Tim Vickery is when he speaks Portuguese, if you listen to how good Graham Hunter is when he speaks Spanish, and also, when you listen to me speak Dutch, you know, the qualities are extremely high. And there's no, there's no coincidence, Sam, that the people with fantastic knowledge who can offer lots and lots of different information on a wide range of things within the country and also the football, it's no coincidence that they've all learnt the language to the best of their ability. Perfect, perfect. Um, yeah. But uh, that was it for episode 12 of the Magic Ball from Bearcamp Podcast. Thank you for a massive, massive thank you to James Rowe for coming on tonight. Um, make sure to follow James Rowe on uh, Twitter because he's got brilliant interviews coming up coming up on uh, on his way and on your way. Make sure to follow the podcast, give it a like, follow it and subscribe, guys. Thank you all for listening. And thank you, James, for featuring tonight. You're more than welcome. And uh, thank you to all the listeners for tuning in. As Sam says, feel free to follow my Twitter at James Rowanell and keep an eye on Football CFB and also the Secret Footballer website to read um, upcoming interviews with many different players and managers at all different levels of world football. And stay safe in these strange times. Thank you, James, for coming on. It's been a massive pleasure to have you on. Thank you. And uh, thank you to everybody listening. And good night.